0: Over the weekend in Lima, Peru, our local athlete Nathan Killam competed in the 70.3 half Ironman distance race, and in a race stacked with international talent, including the likes of Jesse Thomas, Yvonne Rana, and Andy Potts, Nathan carved out a very respectable 3.55 clocking to place 7th overall. Needless to say, his sponsors over in Pitt Meadows at F2C and us at Fitspeak are overjoyed with the good results. By listening to this interview, you can learn more about Nathan, his penchant for going downhill on his bicycle, his breakup with Burger King, and the heavy-duty mechanic work ethic that helped him become one of our fastest long-distance triathletes. So tell us a little bit about what kind of sports you did growing up as a kid.
1: Well, uh, being from Canada, uh, I did the the typical hockey in the uh, winter season and played baseball in the summer. Uh, I grew up as a catcher and then I played goalie in hockey. So
0: How are your knees?
1: Uh they're they're good. I was actually really flexible. My dad made sure I did a lot of stretching when I played, especially when I was doing the season of hockey. Uh he always made sure I stretched a lot, so it kept me pretty limber. The knees uh I wasn't really ever heavy when I played goal, so I don't think I had a lot of weight to throw around. Kind of helped out. <laughs>
0: So you're talking about your dad. What kind of a role did your parents and maybe your brothers and sisters, if you have, uh, contribute to your athletic prowess?
1: Uh, So I have a younger sister. There's just the two of us. Um, My sister actually got in. She tried to get into or starting to get into triathlon a little bit. She was learning to to bike and swim and was running a ton and fortunately got a few little injuries. And uh, she found the world of bodybuilding. So she's been doing that. Uh, trying to get her pro card for the last few years, and she's been doing really, really well. Um, my dad was always supportive. Both my parents were really supportive, but my dad was kind of the guy who introduced me to, you know, skating from two years old. Probably he put me in the pool. They both put me in the pool when I was young. Uh, just you know, basic life skills, learning how to swim. Never really did club swimming or anything like that, but just you know, learn how to get from one side of the pool to the other. Uh, but yeah, my dad always supported me to play whatever sports I wanted and I always enjoyed hockey and baseball. So uh, there was never any pressure to do well as long as I was having fun. That's all he cared about. Uh, and my mom, she she was up crazy early for those morning practices and they would pick me up. Sometime practices would go to 11 at night on a school night so and on a work night and they were, they were always there. Uh, so they they just made sure i was enjoying myself uh and then one year i when i was in late high school i just decided i wasn't really having that much fun anymore and there was never any pressure to keep going they said well that's what you want to do so uh i've always had support to do whatever i wanted to do and uh my sister was the same way and uh i think my sister and i kind of feed off each other now cuz mm-hmm. you know she sees my success in my sport and i see her success in her sport and uh, we really motivate each other and it just kind of keeps us, you know, keeps us wanting more.
2: So you guys share back and forth your tricks of the trade and your kind of your secrets, um, you know, your secret tools in terms of um, being on top of your game and that kind of helps to motivate both you guys?
1: I think with my sister, because I would say the triathlon tool chest and the, the bodybuilding t- tool chest is a bit of a different looking assortment of tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the mental game uh across pretty much any sport, it's always like it's always the same. So I think in that regard, we have really been able to help each other just kind of uh, motivate each other intrinsically and extrinsic- or extrinsically. I don't know what the word you're supposed <laughs> to use. Yeah, yeah let's yeah, let's yeah. go with that. <laughs> uh and uh I think that's really helped, you know, when, you know, if I have a bad race or she has a bad show or we're just not feeling great we kind of help boost each other up so i think it's it's really helpful in that regard to have someone like close in your family that can kind of give you that motivation that most other people you can't find from so i think that's that's where we help each other the most
0: so, Nathan, you're saying you had a variety of Canadian-type sports growing up. Um, you were thrown in the pool. You did some swimming, but you didn't have the same sort of background as Canada. So I guess now triathlon legend Simon Whitfield, who was who doing the Kids of Steel series at quite an early age. Um, what was your motivation to do your very first triathlon?
1: Uh, it's a funny story, actually. So 2006, uh, I've been... Had just been starting to lose weight the year before. Had kind of changed my diet, incorporated a little more running. But it's funny, I, I always ran on the treadmill at the gym. It was never for more than 25 minutes. I always had to have my music on. Always listened to the same songs. I had to have the TV going. I just, we got to know what those same songs were. Oh, I can't even tell no. <laughs> you. Those high school, this stuff from uh, the late 90s, all the hot stuff from then. Uh, and it, I just, I needed to have all this external you know, motivation, I just, I I couldn't just go out and run, I never ran outside, Uh, and then late 2006, actually it was, it was New Year's Eve, uh, actually New Year's Day on 2007, we uh, were snowboarding in Whistler, and I broke my tailbone uh, snowboarding, and uh, rode down, went to the hospital, got x-rays, and like, well, here's, here's the crack, I was like, damn, so, uh, went home and I was stuck laying on the couch for a week and I'm going, man, I'm just sitting here. I can't exercise. I can't do anything. So I decided I was going to go to the pool and I learned how to swim in a, it was probably about a 15 meter pool, It's tiny little pool at the the local gym. And uh, I learned how to swim. Uh, The local lifeguards helped me learn how to, or teach me how to swim as well. And that summer, I decided to start riding my bike, or my dad's old, 10 speed to work. The thing must have weighed 100 pounds. It was ridiculous. I'm sure it was made of solid steel. And uh, so I'd been running for about two years, you know, three times a week for, you know, 25 minutes a time. And a friend of mine said, hey, you can swim, and you can bike, and you can run. You should try this thing called a triathlon. And they have one out in Harrison uh, near... Yeah, my first triathlon, uh, and he said, you should try this thing. I think you're really going to like it, and I was like, oh. So went on the internet and uh, did a little research and signed up for this race, and it was it was two months away, and I was like, okay, well, maybe I should go and get a new bike. So I went to the local bike shop, got this, like, $600 road bike, and uh, I said, well, well, I need some aero bars for this bike, and the guy said, well, we don't sell those here, but if you go down the street uh there's a tri shop and they'll they'll be able to help you out so i went into this tri shop there's this this girl behind the counter and she was just like all excited that i was getting to triathlon and she was she was helping me she was teaching me i i went back to the shop i don't know how many times she was teaching me all the things about triathlon and uh she totally got me set up i had these arrow bars i was like okay i'm gonna do this race and uh so I went and did this race, and I just couldn't believe how much fun it was. I was smiling the whole time while I was out there. I had a great race. Uh, one embarrassing uh, story <laughs> from this race was... Uh, <laughs> so I uh, took a lock with me, and uh, the, the girl uh, from the tri shop, her name's Charlene Croteau now, uh, previously Charlene Parrott, and she... Uh, she was watching me rack my bike and I pulled out this lock and I s- said, okay, I'm going to lock my bike onto the track onto the rack so no one takes my bike. And she just started <laughs> laughing at me. And so that maybe you didn't
0: have the nicest bike on the rack. Either.
1: I definitely didn't have the nicest bike on the rack. I was by far, far, far from the, the nicest bike on the rack. But that was my embarrassing story that I locked my bike <laughs> in transition. She said, Okay, Nathan, you gotta go in there and take that off. That's ridiculous. You can't, you can't lock your bike in there. That's
0: an original one. Yeah. So,
1: awesome. so, uh, but that was my first triathlon, and I just had a, a blast. It was right at the end of 2007, end of the summer, uh, and then the, 2008, I started signing up for more races, and did my first half Ironman. And I wanted to do Ironman, but uh, speaking of Sean Callahan, Sean was my coach from that winter for three years, right. and he said, oh, you, "You're too young. You can't." Do an Ironman yet because I was probably only 20
2: 24
1: I was 21 oh. when I started triathlon like the that was it
2: 21 okay
1: yeah cuz I was born in 1986 okay. so yeah, yeah. and uh, he's like you're too young and I it was great that he, he wouldn't let me do a triathlon as my coach cuz I think it's just too young uh 2012 was when I did my first Ironman uh, Ironman Canada the last year was in Penticton right yeah but uh yeah Ever since I did that first race at the end of 2007, I've been super hooked. It was so, just it had more fun every single time I did it.
0: So when you're doing this race, you're also having to earn a paycheck. So at the time, what were you doing?
1: Uh, so back then, I was a heavy-duty mechanic. I worked for my uncle with a company called Wheeler Equipment, based out of Port Kells in Surrey. And uh, yeah, I just I worked between Port Kells and Richmond and Delta. Uh, for the most part, sometimes I worked out in North Van at the, at C-SPAN. We were contractors, so we were all always on the road. Uh, but yeah, th- it was it was pretty hard because heavy duty mechanics is an unbelievably uh, strenuous job. Uh, you're wearing you know heavy boots. You're always carrying equipment and like tools around. You're climbing up and down machines all day long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I didn't care, you know youthful ignorance (laughs) i didn't know you're supposed to be tired at the end of the day so uh, after work every day i'd go and do one or two workouts and uh, that was pretty much how i earned my paycheck back then Mm -hmm. Uh, and i was going to school every every year for six weeks to get my my full ticket Mm -hmm. and and i did i did eventually get my full ticket uh, Mm -hmm. but yeah it was tough but i loved it Mm -hmm. It It's just work and work and play work and play every day
0: fast forward a couple of years and you've had some pretty amazing successes. When did the light kind of go on and, you know, you realize that, Hey, I'm pretty good at this. Uh,
1: when was that? Probably, I think it was 2010. Uh, maybe it was 2009. I did Austin 70.3 at the end of, uh, end of the year is end of October with a friend of mine. Uh, I my coach Sean at the time, uh, I had some good races, and I said, "Hey, uh, my buddy Jordan's gonna go do this race down in te- in Texas, and you know it's cheap to fly to, and and what what do you think?" And he said, "Yeah, that would be great." And all all year I'd only been training for Olympic distance, so we thought, "What the heck? What could go wrong?" And uh, I went there, and I was the fastest age group, and I beat probably a third to half of the pro field, and I thought, "Whoa." This this went pretty well. Like, maybe I should try racing as a pro. Um, I didn't want to quit my job because you know I was still working on getting my my ticket. But uh, I thought, man, this would be cool to race. You know, up with those guys because mm-hmm. you know every time I went to races, you'd always see them out on the course, and you're like, whoa, wow, look at these guys. These guys are superhuman. Like, how do they go so fast? I, is it even possible to go that fast? It's just a mere mortal like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I decided I would uh, try and get my pro card for the next season. And I, I was able to get that. And, uh, yeah, I've been racing for, this is my seventh season. So I guess that was 2010. Uh, so this is my seventh season racing as a professional. Uh, but I still work full time. So
0: that's the next question I wanted to ask because a lot of people, when they look at, you know, the elites or pros, whether it's in any sport, really a lot of people say, yeah, but you know, they're not doing that full time. Are they having no other responsibilities than train, eat, sleep. Now, you work full-time. You're a full-time elite triathlete. How do you manage uh, the balancing of a family life? You're a soon-to-be father with the responsibilities of running a household, having a full-time job, and also putting in the big hours necessary.
1: It's definitely a balancing act that I think starts with probably the world's most supportive wife, as uh, anyone in triathlon who has a partner can uh, attest that without the support of your partner, you're, you're pretty much a sitting duck for catastrophe. Um, but yeah, my wife supported me since we've been together for quite a few years now. And uh, along the whole way, she's always been supportive of when I go on camps, I just disappear for racing, uh, sometimes for weeks at a time. Uh, so I'm, n- I'm not a dad yet, but as you know, that's coming sometime late May early June and uh, you'll probably have to talk to me maybe in July August and we'll see how things are going but uh, I think uh, it's just pretty much being time efficient Uh, I think things will change when uh, the little guy comes but it's not really going to stop me from you know continuing to train as much as I can I think recovery might suffer a little bit but I think some people just don't realize how much how much time they waste on a daily basis doing, you know, wasteful things. Just sitting on their computer, sitting on their phone, you know. Like there's there's a lot of time to be had during the day that you can be training and recovering aside from working. So uh, I think it's going to take a bit more balancing, and I think the recovery, at least you know, sleep is going to suffer, but. I think it's I think it's manageable. It'll be different for sure, and I think it's just another challenge. Uh, You know, I love challenges, so (laughs) it'll just be something different. But uh, yeah, up until now, it's just been you know the help of my partner and just timing my holidays right throughout the year. And you know, I have a lot of guys at work are really support supportive of racing, so uh, they help me cover shifts, and I'll work for them at other points in the year. Um, It's a good system. And uh, it works for me. There's a lot, a lot, probably not as much sleep as I would like in my life, but uh, I mean, I've managed thus far. So, it's just mm-hmm. just challenges you gotta you gotta overcome, right?
0: Now let's talk a little bit about what an average training. I know you know you go through perhaps periodization and you have just you know different sorts of uh, focuses. Um, what would an average, if there is an average training week, look like for you right now?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're right. That is a tough one. Uh, so I work on a four-on, four-off schedule. So my my week uh, in my world is eight days. Uh, so
0: we're talking a job as a professional firefighter.
1: Yes. Yes. So I work two day shifts, two night shifts, and then I get four days off. Um, and my coach, uh, Bjorn Austin Brink, I've been working with him for... This is my seventh year now. And uh, I've been a firefighter for the entire time that I've been working with him. So he's been really... You know following along the past few years and we've been really figuring out a system uh, of training that works for me uh, with my work schedule and we've figured out how I recover best how I perform best um, but I would say a typical week is probably you know because I use training peaks and it you know it works it's a Monday to Sunday kind of setup so I would say I probably average anywhere from 17 to even up to 23 hours on a regular week when I'm not on not off on a training camp Uh, and uh, you know there's probably three to five swims in there about you know three and a half to four K long I get maybe 10 or anywhere from 8 to 12 hours of biking in and then the running totally varies on what kind of you know focus I have that that week but the running is probably anywhere from 60 to 100 kilometers a week Uh, give or take a little bit so yeah it's uh it's tough like you said there's periodization so sometimes like right now i'm in between races so there's just a lot of uh a lot of intensity work right now not really working on big volume uh but then i'll you know i'll be going in between like i have big stretches in between races and we'll be working a little more volume and uh it all depends on what i'm doing through the year i try to get a little more quality over quantity i think that's really helped with working full-time some guys Uh, I know there's some guys who can go out and do pros that can do 45 hours of training a week. Even if I wasn't working full-time, that would probably kill me. (laughs) I would just break down. Uh, There's other pros I know who also just are professionals full-time and they only train, you know, 18 hours a week. And uh, I function a little better off of, you know, the bottom end of the spectrum or the lower end of the spectrum, just quality over quantity, and I seem to react a lot better to that. So that's kind of – it's actually good for someone who works full time. I think probably a lot of people can benefit from that too, instead of just lots of long, slow training, getting a little more quality in, and that kind of gets the the body revved up for racing.
0: Kevin, sounds like you've got a question. I do. Big workload.
2: How How do you work around getting tired and mentally maybe breaking down a little bit and being able to maintain... You know a pretty dedicated training regime
1: so i'm probably a little ocd and i'm very adhd i was clinically diagnosed as a child as adhd uh i did rillin really and the whole thing growing up uh so i'm really really high energy hardwired into me so it takes a lot to really break me down my wife can tell you that it does happen And when it happens, it's not pretty. But uh, I think I just love it so much. And I just love the daily grind that even if I'm super tired, I can just drag myself out to do a session. I think I just, the endorphins that I get from training, I just, once I get out there and start doing it, I'm just, I come around. Uh, I mean, you have to listen to your body too. Some days, if I'm just super smashed uh, and I go out and try and do a session and things are just terrible and like the heart rate's not responding the body's not responding then you know that's the day that you just go stop at the coffee shop and have a have a cookie and a coffee and and it call her a day because right. you got to listen to the body right but i think for the most part uh you know if i if i'm recovering well enough even if i'm tired i can get out there and just just perform the the workout that needs to be done sometimes they're not perfect but uh I just get it, get it done. I I think I'm just intrinsically motivated uh, and I just enjoy it so much that I don't really, I don't really find a lot of difficulty motivating myself. I mean, if it's raining out, sometimes (laughs) it's not exactly the most motivating Mm -hmm. weather, but uh, I think once you're out there, I, I don't, I don't usually have a problem.
0: You've been in the sport as a pro for about seven years now. Are there any financial rewards to being a pro? I've got some listeners who are interested in perhaps, you know, taking it to the next level. They're a pretty high level age grouper. Uh, what's in it for you as an athlete to become a pro?
1: I mean, it's it's always helpful racing in the pro field, having uh, a start in front of, you know, the mass pandemonium as anyone who's done an Ironman or 70.3 knows. Uh, the, the the starts are always chaos um, and I don't think like unless you're in the into the money there's not a massive amount of incentive like especially financially because just because you have a pro card uh, I've learned and I'm sure a lot of pros out there can tell you that uh, it doesn't mean all of a sudden money starts flowing your way uh, it's it's not the richest sport in the world and uh, it's Difficult to get up and to the point where you can make money doing it Um, I think through sponsorship and like race winnings when you're just starting out as a pro it can be really Financially difficult. Uh, I've been super lucky that I have a full-time job that I can financially support myself uh, And you know, I've been able to support a lot of my racing through uh, You know winning money and and whatnot in the, the sport, but uh, I think it's it's pretty helpful uh, to you know dis- distinguish the the pro race from the age group race. It kind of separates things up a little bit, uh, and you don't get caught up in you know some of the chaos of the early portions of the race. Um, some races have homestay programs, so you know there's a little bit of money savings perhaps uh, instead of paying for a hotel. Personally, I love the homestay programs. And even when I go to races where there's no program, I'll usually try and find a homestay because I, I hate hotels. They're just, they have no character. There's no, you don't learn anything about where you're going. Cause I, I've been so lucky to race all over the world. Uh, and the people that you meet, like you just, that's connections for life. Like a lot of these people are really good friends now, even though I only see them once a year, or sometimes I'll see them, they'll come to Vancouver and, uh, that's really, really great. So, uh, you know, not having to pay for hotels. But, I mean, we still have to pay for pro memberships uh, with Ironman. It's $950 US a year. I mean, it's pretty much a pass to race all of the races. But, I mean, you still have to get yourself to the races just like anyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, you still have to, you know, if if you can't find a homestay, you're still paying for a hotel. Mm-hmm. you got to pay for transport. So, I mean there's, it's not, when I first became a pro, uh, we didn't have to pay for Ironman races, but they soon after started having the pro membership. So it was kind of like, oops, (laughs) well, maybe I should have just stayed in age group for a few more years. But, uh, I don't know. I, I really like some of the aspects of racing as a professional. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, I mean, there's not a ton of financial incentive unless you're actually at the ability that you're making money at races, but, Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's just a lot of fun and you get to, you get to race alongside the best guys in the sport when they, at the races. So that's, that kind of, it's kind of fun.
0: So checking out your Facebook page, you obviously have a lot of uh, followers, you have a tremendous amount of uh, sponsors uh, and you're very popular with your sponsors. What's the nature of the relationship between you and your sponsors?
1: I think there's different, different angles to the relationships with your sponsors, um, I think you need to have, you know, it is a business relationship at the core, but uh, I find that a lot of sponsors, you become friends with them. They, uh, You know, you see them at races, sometimes you see them outside of racing, and they become friends, and uh, I think that that's really important to me that uh, I have that friendship relationship. I mean, you have to sometimes treat it as a bit of a business, but... uh, like just they're supporting you and you're trying to support them as best you can. And, uh, I think that's really important. Uh, cause I mean, that's, that's part of our job being sponsored by a company, uh, is supporting them. But I think when you can be friends with the, your sponsors and also really being invested in the product that you're using, like all the products that I use are products that I believe in that I believe they work. And, uh, I'm passionate about.
0: Tell you know. us about some of your sponsors, then.
1: Well, uh, you you guys probably know uh, F2C Nutrition, we do. Uh, Greg, Greg, and Glenda out in Maple Ridge. Uh, I've had quite a few chances to to meet them and hang out with them, and uh, they're fantastic. They're super passionate about their product, and that makes me even more excited about working with a company when they're just you know through the roof excited about their products. And uh yeah that's my new nutrition company that I've been working with this year and it's their products are fantastic and uh I use them a lot uh you know in all my training every day and uh yeah that it's in they they're not even that far away they live just probably down the road from you guys so
2: they are, yeah they're yeah. 5 minutes from my house Yeah
1: so uh that's really great that I am able to you know sometimes meet up with a coffee for those guys or meet up with for a coffee with mm-hmm. those guys and uh I think that's that's, you know, helps build the relationship, you know, that can be a lasting relationship, um, and then I work with Compress Sport, and I've been working with Compress Sport for years, I, I don't even know how many years, since, oh, probably, it's probably been eight or eight years or so now, in some capacity, and, uh, you know, just building these long-term relationships, I think is, you know, it's important to me, Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, just, you get super stoked at races. You, you see other people who are supported by them or a lot of times my sponsors are at the races, whether they're working the expo or they have their own athletes racing and uh, or they're racing themselves sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it just, it kind of, uh, you know, you use it in your your tr- training and home life, but you get to, you know, see them out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the relationship with your, with your sponsors is uh, super important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, just as much as the business, if not more. So sounds and, like
0: Kevin has another question.
1: I do.
2: And then along with having your sponsors, and then when you go to the events, you also get to meet the sponsors, uh, customers. So you get, you get that extra added advantage where you get some hands on with, with those customers and, and sort of, kind of tap into them and then they get to kind of pick your head on different experiences I suppose and you're able to motivate them a little bit maybe
1: yeah totally uh I've done you know talks for some sponsors in the past uh or even even triathlon clubs have had me out or run clubs even stores uh things like that and uh I think it's it's a lot of fun to interact with you know I like to think of them as the athletes instead of the customers. I know they they, they Sorry, are they are the customers but 100%. but I mean for the most part, you know, all the companies I work with, the people who use their products are athletes and uh it's it's just a lot of fun when, you know, especially with things like nutrition, like the uh, the the athletes will ask you questions mm-hmm. or even I have friends who have started using the the products that i use and they say oh i'm i'm new i'm, I'm doing i'm doing my first iron man and like what do you do like how do you how do you make it work on the bike how do you how do you make it work on the run for you and being able to you know maybe what i do isn't going to work for everybody mm-hmm. and it, that's it just isn't always going to work for everybody but being able to you know just impart some experiences mm-hmm. uh into other athletes and you know if i can help someone and they can gain success in their racing from you know even one thing that i tell them is it's really rewarding for me uh and i mean it's helpful for my sponsors as well but uh i just think um yeah being able to share my experiences with products to other athletes that can maybe help them in their racing and training uh, i think that's really rewarding uh so I I enjoy doing doing talks like that at whether it's an expo or an event, different things like that. Uh yeah, it's it's always great.
0: Now we're at, the date of this interview is um April the twelfth. Usually around this time of year I know Nathan would sometimes go down to a place called Paso Robles in California, where he was really for, for quite a, a long period of time uh, one of our fast Canadians at the race called Wildflower. Now, unfortunately, the lake is getting kind of dry, Lake San Antonio. So what are you using to fill that void instead of doing Wildflower this year?
1: Well, Wildflower always been a, a race that I admired uh, ever since I started the sport. It was in a documentary called What It Takes with uh, I'm sure a lot of you have heard the names Peter Reed, Laurie Bowden, Heather Fuhrer, and Luke Bell was in there as well. And it was just working towards the 2005 uh, Ironman World Championships in Kona. But Wildflower was in that documentary and ever since I saw that documentary, I always wanted to go. And uh, I, I got to go in 2009 and I did the Olympic race and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm here. I used to watch that documentary all the time on the trainer just always (laughs) before every race always watched it and I couldn't believe I was there in uh uh, what was it four years ago uh I got to go uh sorry three years ago I got to go for my first uh half iron event there and it was under the new format because of the dried up lake and uh it's a long transition it was it was awesome 2.2.2 miles I think uh transition run from the swim to the bike which was fantastic uh but that, that that's always been my favorite race on the schedule. So I don't think anything can replace it and fill that void. Um, I heard the lake has actually filled in a fair amount because of the amount of rain California's been getting. Been but been getting a lot. But I don't think the race is going to be going on, and I'm not sure if it's ever going to go back on. I, I really hope it does. I really hope they come back because I'll be there 100% for sure. Um, but uh, this year, because we had our baby or have our baby do. Uh, late May early June um, I decided to maybe get a little bit of early season racing in which is difficult you know you guys from live here. Uh, North
0: American especially West Coast I mean we've had an extraordinary read that wet spring yeah it's been extraordinarily wet so getting out to do the big miles has been a challenge
1: yeah I mean we just March was the wettest March we've had ever like <laughs> since they started recording since I don't even know before TV was invented before uh, triathlon. yeah, before tri, way before triathlon, uh, so yeah, it's been it's always challenging getting in the the big the big early mileage here. Uh, so I went to Tucson as I do every year for three weeks, a little earlier this year, late February into March. Um, and I uh, started the season at seventy point three Puerto Rico, uh, which was in uh, mid mid late March, and uh, it went all right. Uh, it was a little, it was a little hot for me. It was, uh, I think, in the 30s and super humid, so it was a little challenging. When it was, oh, that's Celsius for, for any American listeners. In uh, here has been, it, at that time, was probably about three, and pouring rain slash snowing. Uh, so it was definitely a challenge. Um, it was, I had a lot of fun. I, I made a top 10, which was kind of nice. Uh, the race didn't really go as well as I'd hoped. Uh, two weeks later. I raced at 70.3 Texas in Galveston, which is just south of Houston. And uh, unfortunately my, my saddle broke about four to five K into the bike. I went over a, a big, huge speed hump and I just heard a loud crack and looked down and my saddle was kind of hanging over to the side. So it was quite uncomfortable and uh, made for a bit, bit of sore legs. So I kind of died late in, into the bike and uh, just tried to hang on for the run.
0: And it was a pretty impressive run.
1: Uh, this, the time wasn't that great, but I mean, all things considered, uh, this it started well and I kind of faded really bad in the middle. And then probably about 8K to go, I just decided that, you know, I it doesn't matter what happens in a race. Like everyone has their own challenges and obstacles to overcome. And I just decided, I was thinking about uh, Jeff Simons when I was out there and how ugly he gets when he runs sometimes and he's just suffering and... And I just kind of let my body loosen up and just the head started flopping and I just started grinding and uh, had to get ugly. And uh, I think the last 8K was the fastest portion of my run. Uh, and God, it hurt. It hurt so bad. Uh, and I was just, I was somewhere between Mars and Venus in the last couple kilometers. But I just got as ugly as I could and uh, finished, you know, as strong as I could. So, I mean, you know, things happen in the races all the time that that aren't ideal, but it's just how you uh as as uh, Rocky said, it's not how how hard of a punch you can take or it's it's how many how, times how many yeah. times you can get hit and keep moving forward. Yeah. yeah. So uh out. yeah, I just had to keep moving forward and uh so it wasn't my best performance, but uh I got to the finish line so I was pretty pretty happy with that.
0: So after the race from Texas back to Canada, home for a couple of weeks and um, towards the end of the month here in April, you're going on another vacation slash race all the way to South America. Tell us about what you're uh, expecting to do there in, uh, is it Peru?
1: Yeah, yeah Lima, Peru. Uh, Twelve years ago, if you told me that the first time I go to South America was for a triathlon. I would probably ask you what a triathlon was (laughs) and then I would ask you why I was going there to do one. Uh, I've never been to South America. I've been to Central America a few times. Uh, and I'm pretty excited to go to Peru for the first time for a race. Um, I wish I could go longer so I could go to Machu Picchu, Mm -hmm. but, uh, it's just not really in the cards this trip. I'll probably go back in the future and we'll probably visit Machu Picchu, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to leave. It's next week. I'm going to uh, Lima, Peru. I'll be there for almost a week. Um, The weather looks like it's, you know, not too crazy hot. So it should be a little more ideal than the last two races. And uh, yeah, that the the training's been going well. I've got a little bit of a cold last week and I rolled my ankle pretty good actually before Texas. uh, Is
0: there a good story behind that one?
1: Uh, no, I wish, I wish I could tell you I was, uh, running in the mountains and, uh, got body checked by a bear and went flying down a cliff, but it was actually about 10 feet into a rather blasé, uh, plain gravel path. And I just looked at my watch and went down like a sack of potatoes. So, yeah. Rolled the ankles doing the Peter Griffin on the, on the ground. I'm sure y'all know that from family guy. Um, yeah, it was. I was doing. I was looking around while while squirming, hoping no one had seen me because it was pretty embarrassing, actually. But uh, my ankle swelled up pretty good, and I wasn't able to run for uh, almost a week. Actually, it was wasn't till right before uh, Texas that I was able to to run without too much too much pain. Mm. Ibuprofen can be your friend sometimes. Um, so it it's pretty much back to normal now, but there's still some soreness. So I'm pretty much just. Been doing what I can, and uh, I'm going into Peru pretty optimistic. Uh, the field, I don't think, is going to be quite as big as the last two races were. So, uh, you know, if I can pull out a good race, I think it can be a good day there. So, I'm pretty excited.
0: And we'll be rooting for you. Kevin
2: Watt, another question. So, when you're going to these events that are uh, around North America, now that you're going to be going down to Peru, do you do your research, your homework?
1: Uh, that's a good one. Um, some races I just know, I just know from uh, feedback from other professionals what the roads are going to be like. Sometimes I'll ask other pros, you know, who have done the race in the past, what their experience was, and uh, that's usually pretty helpful. Slowtwitch.com is always a pretty helpful uh, resource. There's always people on the forums talking about races, courses, weather, etc. Um, but uh, Uh, Usually, flat races don't suit me super well, which is what the last two races and this race are going to be like, Uh, but it was more of timing for the reason I picked them. Uh, I can't say that I do too much research on the road surface conditions. I mean, I just ride 25C tires and uh, I pretty much just adjust the tire pressure based on what I find when I show up Mm. to the race course. I mean... They wouldn't really put any of these races somewhere where the road conditions are dangerous. And uh, since I race cyclocross in the offseason, I love bumpy. So mm-hmm. in my opinion, the worse the road is, the better. Because mm-hmm. if it sucks for me, it's going to suck for other people. But I love when it sucks. So that's, uh, that's I, I, I like to think that's to my advantage. Uh, and that
0: diamond bike of yours, that's going to be a, maybe an extra weapon for you if the road is a bit bumpy.
1: Yeah, actually, in uh, Puerto Rico, there was a couple sections of road that were brutal, uh, just just totally chopped up. And I don't know how many times they had paved little potholes and whatnot. And a lot of people were complaining about it. Uh, and I mean, I pointed it out as well, but the, the bike just soaks up so much of the, the vibration and that just, you know, the aggressive hit from uh, I find that to be especially uh, the 70.3s, I don't think it's, you know, unbelievably helpful because, you know, it's, we're only out there for two hours on the bike, mm-hmm. but uh, when I'm racing Ironmans later in the year, I think it's going to become really advantageous because as any if anyone out there who's done an Ironman or even been in the saddle for 180 kilometers or 112 miles, you know that you're pretty much like a five-year-old child by the end of that ride and anything <laughs> at all that's off will upset you, so... Uh, you know, just having a little less vibration going into into the ride is going to really help you by the end of the ride. It's just going to take away some of the additional fatigue that you're going to find. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: another quick question. So as triathletes or athletes in general, we're always looking to uh, improve something about, you know, what we're doing in our sport. So do you have a focus area right now that you're working towards getting better at?
1: Yeah. Um, so I've always been not the best swimmer. Uh, mainly because I have zero background in swimming and having always worked full time, especially with a shift job or a job that does shift work. um, It's really difficult to do master swimming uh, or club swimming, anything like that.
0: It's working for Sanders. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I wish I've always wanted to do, you know, club or, or master swimming consistently, but when you're some weeks only able to do one of the group swims, it's just, financially not feasible for me to you know, be paying all this extra money so my, my coach gives me great swim workouts and I have some good friends close by who you know, always motivate me in the pool uh, when we swim together so uh, I've been working on my swim a lot uh, over the winter uh, this year and so far the last two races have shown that uh, my swimming has actually improved a fair bit I've been uh, consistently about a pack up or a minute to two minutes up from where I would have been in the past. Even last year, last year I swam quite well, but uh, this year I'm comfortably uh, up a whole pack. So, what do you think has made the difference? Uh, I, I don't really know. Stroke. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I did. Uh, there's an the English-based swim club uh, in downtown Vancouver, and they always have a Christmas to New Year's camp. And I did that this year and it's something like nine swims over the course of five or six days. And uh, I was able to do, I think I got eight and I just, I took a day or two off work and I got most of the swims in and the deck coaches really helped me with my stroke. And there was only one or two stroke corrections, but uh, I really, really focused on them. And I think it made a big difference. And I think just, I don't know, I just have been, you know, focusing on swimming and trying really hard at it all winter. Um, and I think it's, it's been paying off. I don't swim a lot, but I think when I put the time in the pool this last winter, I've made it count. So I think that's been the, the biggest help for me. Um, my run once upon a time was my best of the three sports and is probably now moving towards the weaker of my three sports. Uh, probably <laughs> I, I tend to over bike a little bit <laughs> in the races. Uh, from racing cyclocross really teaches you how to dig deep and suffer hard. Mm-hmm. And I think some races I don't ride as steady and maybe push a little bit too hard at times. So I think my run's been suffering because of that. But, uh, I think the swim is something that I had been working on really hard and I can see over the last two races, it's really paid off. Mm-hmm. And that's just allowed me to be closer to the front of the race so I can, you know, get in with some strong riders and we can push to be at the front of the race or close to it. So I think, uh... accomplished that that was a short-term goal and i think my coach and i have really uh really gotten there
0: good to hear and encouraging to hear for uh you know for all us folks who who aren't the best of swimmers there's always room for improvement and with some hard work and consistent work we can achieve a a lot of our goals a little bit earlier on in the interview you were talking about the video that you had watched so many times um in regards to the Wildflower Triathlon. I was just wondering, now that you've been in the sport for quite some time and you've had a chance to meet so many people, but you also know uh, a good deal about the history of the sport. Do you have any triathlon heroes?
1: Yeah. Um, Simon Whitfield, I don't, I don't think there's too many Canadians True. who can't say that uh, Simon isn't one of their heroes in, of the sport, especially those of us who were around during... Uh, his, his days of, you know, just dominating. And uh, he's also just like the nicest guy ever. He's the most humble guy. You could just, you could meet him in a coffee shop. And if if you didn't already know who he was and you didn't dig for, you know, answers, mm-hmm. you would never know who he was. You never know that he is one of the best triathletes that existed in the sport. Um, and uh, it's funny, I have a photo uh, of his... Uh, from, I think it was, uh, uh, when he won his gold back in 2000 and, uh, he's holding up the medal and, uh, it's in black and white and he, I met him the first time I ever got to meet him. I had, had that photo and he signed it. So for one of my birthdays, my wife, uh, framed it and it sits right in front of my treadmill in the other room. Uh, and it's just always right there and he's just smiling, got his medal and he gave me a nice little, a nice little note on there and signed it. So it's, uh, It's always motivating me when i'm you know stuck indoors and Mm -hmm. the weather's bad outside (laughs) and i wish i was somewhere warm and i'm just dying on the treadmill and he's he's always up there motivating me um and then peter reed is also Mm. multiple three-time ironman world champion
2: 2006 yeah
1: he's just he's fantastic uh he's he was just so focused and so driven and uh so detail-oriented and uh he just when he was on, he was just so on and he always showed up, uh, ready to win. And, uh, he's always been, uh, those two guys have always been, you know, my, my big triathlon idols because when I was in the sport, they were kind of in the peak of their game. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember in 2008 at the, uh, the world championships when it was in Vancouver here, it was June. It was probably one of the worst Junes we've had. It was, I think it was nine degrees out. It was raining, I remember standing out there and watching them out there and he was out there and I was just going ballistic, just cheering for him. And I think he did fairly well, but it was just so cool because that was the first time I ever saw him in person. And it was only the, you know, my first real year in triathlon and I was just learning who these guys were. And I thought they were, you know, some kind of superhumans. And, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he was every time I've ever met him, he's just always been the nicest guy. Uh, so those those guys, I would say, are my two idols uh, that have, you know, through the years, I've always kind of looked to their performances and their work ethic and dedication to kind of get me through when, you know, I'm not feeling the most motivated. So,
0: mm-hmm. so a lot of young triathletes out there, especially uh, in the lower mainland of BC, are looking to Nathan as a role model. What kind of advice or what kind of story could you tell somebody who wants to improve as a triathlete? Obviously, you've uh, you've paid the dues. You've improved from a, a pretty good age grouper to one of the best in British Columbia right now. What sorts of uh, advice would you give us?
1: Get a coach. <laughs> if you don't, if you are one of those triathletes and you don't have a coach, I promise you, a coach is the best investment in the sport that you can possibly make. Uh, I was lucky that I had people watching out for me from the beginning and s- said hey you you need to get a coach cuz you know you, you're they they saw something in me and uh they but they knew that you know I wouldn't be able to tap into any kind of uh ability without help and it was the best mo- decision I ever made and uh I think it's it's going to it's going to suck at times it's going to be the most amazing thing at times, uh, but you just gotta keep keep grinding. Uh, it's it's all about consistency and putting in the work uh, year in year out. And you know maybe you don't see big gains right from the start, but y- you put in the time and uh, you'll see the improvements. They might be small at first, but over time, you'll those little small improvements will all equal big improvements. And uh, I think you know if if you're not seeing improvement. Change something if you've been plateauing for a while. Try changing something up, Uh, and that's that's helped me in the past when you know I've kind of felt flat for a while. Talked with my coach and we we tried something new and it it's worked. And that's 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 some of the best advice I can give. And uh, as Jeff Simon says, uh, dream big. Uh, Just because you you think you know you you can't do something, that's a farce. I think if If you just dream big and you keep working towards your goals, you can make anything happen. You just gotta keep keep giving her
0: and of course, everybody knows that nothing big can happen without caffeine and coffee okay. so let's wow. talk about coffee so you're in Vancouver you in any area. favorite coffee shops in the lower mainland that you'd like to give a shout out to or where you can go for a real good cup
1: oh man, in vancouver it's there Every other corner has a fantastic coffee shop. I'm actually where we live here near 39th and Dunbar Street, I'm lucky enough to live essentially above I don't know if you guys saw it <laughs> yeah, on the walk in Black Black oh, I I don't know if they I think they changed their name or they're changing their name. It was Black Sheep before. I don't know if they've changed it, but uh the baked goods are fantastic and the coffee goes along with it. Uh it it's <laughs> it's, it's it's almost dangerous because, you know, if I wake up in the morning I'm too lazy to to press my own coffee <laughs> it, it almost it's faster for me to just walk down there and and buy a coffee i just walk down and i i always i'm always there at the end of rides it's you know <laughs> that there's something about thinking about delicious food and coffee right. near the end of end of a big hard ride that just gets you through that last little bit and uh, i always love finishing there after a hard ride and having uh one of their their baked goods in a coffee
2: so what you're saying is they're a prospective sponsor
1: <laughs> maybe we'll see I gotta go down and have a chat with the owner uh but yeah there's uh there's so many so many good uh coffee shops in Vancouver that it's hard to put a finger on just one i would say uh yeah they're they're one of the, the shops I frequent a lot um there's something about whole foods uh muffins that just really rings my bell um I don't know why they just they're huge and they're cheap and they're delicious, and the coffee there's good too. Um, but I can't, I can't think of any, there's just, there's so many good coffee shop, Lucky's Donuts, uh, a friend of mine, when we race, uh, in vanny Park cyclocross, we always go for a little cool down ride to the forest and end over at Lucky's Donuts, which has parallel 49 coffee. I'm not sure if, I think they're, they're one and the same, but, uh. The Parallel 49 coffee is really, really good as well. It's like
0: the blood of the bean. Oh, now, yes. Nathan, it's a sunny day. The rain has finally stopped for all of us. Where is the ride of your choice in the whole of the Lower Mainland?
1: Oh, man. Are we talking like a two-hour ride or are we talking like a four- to five-hour ride? Let's, let's, I have two. There's, they're very different rides. Tell us both. Tell us, tell us okay, both. Okay, okay. So my favorite ride from here is to to go over to north, Sh- or north Shore and ride Horseshoe Bay. I just love, I mean, it gets a little convoluted when you start going mm-hmm. through Park Royal, yeah. but I mean, you get to go through Stanley Park both ways. Stanley yeah. Park's beautiful. Up through Taylor Way uh, or down the... I, I, I ride the low road. Okay. Yeah, so I love riding the low road. You go through Park Royal mm-hmm. and then once you're past Dunderave and you hit that last light, yeah. you're gone all the way to Wycliffe Park. And then you always, every time you go through there on a sunny day, there's always divers out there yeah. and there's always tons of people riding and, and the uh, ocean air. and ocean. the ocean air. Oh, the fresh ocean air, the ocean breeze. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. the headwinds kicking your ass. Sometimes it's yeah. helping you. Uh, and it's beautiful. You, you pretty much ride along the side of the ocean and get some pretty amazing views. So I'd say that's my favorite, you know, two to two and a half hour ride. Uh, finish, finish with a little lap around UBC. Here's always nice. But, uh. I would say out in Mission and Maple Ridge, mm-hmm. my favorite riding out here. I when I lived in Surrey, you know, cross over the Golden Years. Once they built that bridge, I because when I first started, that bridge didn't exist.
2: Yeah, so you'd have to go I'd all ha- the way around.
1: Yeah, I'd have to go over Patella Bridge and then and through then New you- West, then you go through Poco. But man, being able to just jump that bridge, yeah. and then when they built the highway from where I used to live, I I was you know maybe three minutes from the highway Which on uh, the South Fraser Perimeter oh, hi- great. Road. Yeah. And uh, just you're on the highway and you don't stop until you pretty much hit the Golden Years Bridge. And then going out around, you know, the Ruskin Dam, Stave Lake, so out that way. Yes. Yeah, love, love riding out there. Uh, Doodney Trunk, mm-hmm. old Doodney, you know, doing the Pit Lake Loop. Ford Road out in the old uh, farm roads out behind the Pitt Meadows uh, Airport. Ah, oh, those—that's that, some of my favorite riding. You can just ride for hours with no stopping. Yeah. Um, I'd have to say my one of my favorite places in the world to ride is uh, Penticton in the summer. I just love oh. Penticton. It is so great. Good call. It's it's a really nice spot. Uh, and then I'd say Tucson is my. I would say it it's pretty close to tying with Penticton. Because I, there's awesome people I get to hang out with when I go down there, but the riding is fantastic down Mount there too. Lemon. Yeah, Mount Lemon, Cookie Cabin. Anyone, if if you know, you know the <laughs> the Cookie Cabin cookies are, you know, they can't be beat. And there's just so many good so many good rides out there.
2: I have a good question for you now, uh, Tucson. What's the descent like on Mount Lemon?
1: Oh, it's fantastic. Is uh, it Mind blowing. If- I mean, depends on how, depends on how crazy you go. Uh, I've hit my fastest ever speed, uh, coming down Mount Lemmon. I think it was around 96 kilometers an hour or something like that. It was coming down from ski Valley, had a, you know, a nice little tailwind and, uh, you just, just wound it up and tucked in and just, just hauled some ass down there. Uh, (laughs) it's, it's great. I'm, I'm super crazy when I descend, uh,
0: so is this guy Kevin Watts? Yeah,
1: so you would love it. I'm just jamming out when I'm going down. I'm just pumping the gas pedal all the way down. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's so much fun. And I mean, if you go right up to the observatory, you're at 9,600 feet, and uh, base of you know Mount Lemon altitude is probably around a thousand feet. So you you you're going through so many different climates and temperature changes and your ears are popping and you can't hear by the time you get to the bottom you gotta ring it in your in your head but uh it's it. still so worth it it's so worth it i that's easily by far my favorite climb anywhere ever mm-hmm. I just love it it's long it's a grind and then you have that awesome descent and the cookies but uh it it's fun if if you like descending yeah. you like Mount lemon
2: yeah i like Typically, when, well, I don't mind climbing, but uh, when it comes to the downhills, I try to pin it as fast as I can go. I try to hold it there and just try to take every turn and anything as fast as possible and just try to hold it there. It's the only way I I, I get to live for once in life. That's, you know, that's, that's about that, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's my favorite part about Mount Lemmon is once you get... There is a bit of a, a climb once you've started coming down from where the cookie cabin is. You descend, then you climb a little bit, and then from 21 miles all the way to the bottom, it's down. And uh, there's sometimes you're going so fast that you're not, you can't. There's no way you can pedal. You're just, you're just run out of gears. And uh, the thing I love about that ascent is you're just going so fast and so hard. That your your focus cannot be anywhere else, no, but right. that descent. So even though the descent sometimes is like a forty-five to sixty-minute descent, you, it all of a sudden you're at the bottom and you're like, whoa, where'd that time just go? And mm-hmm. you just you just get lost in space. You're you're so there, mm-hmm. and it's just so much coming at you. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things I love about that that descent is you're just so there in the moment that idea. nothing else in the world is on your mind at that time. Mm-hmm.
0: And once again, congratulations to Nathan Killam for coming in 7th overall at Ironman 70.3 in Lima, Peru over the weekend. Nathan going 3 hours and 55 minutes for a half Ironman distance race. To keep up with the latest of our local boy doing well, why not? Head on over to his website, nathankillam.com. You can see what he's been up to, his training, and of course his relationship with peanut butter and F2C Nutrition. For FitSpeak, I'm Kevin Hines. Thanks for listening.